0: Hello and welcome to another episode of the Future Sox Podcast. My name is Mike Rankin. Good to have you with us. I'll be your host alongside state champion. That's right. State champion James Fox. He and his Lockport Porters won the IHSA 8A state championship over Maine South. I believe it was, James. Congratulations, first and
1: foremost. Thanks. Thrilled to be here. Thank you. Yes.
0: (laughs) No, awesome achievement. Congratulations to uh, Lockport. It's great great story uh we have a guest today james Feegan of the athletic staff writer for the athletic and also covers the chicago white sox james wow what a pleasure what an honor what a thrill uh it's cold out and we need some warmth i want to talk some white sox a lot's happening here mr Feegan, because cba is set to expire following december 1st uh we already are seeing some free agent signings the white sox making a move to bolster their bullpen we don't know what's going to happen with Craig Kimbrell at this point love to get all of that perspective from you in a little bit uh but also too you know we got to prepare for the rule five and I think that's where we want to start first and foremost there were several players that the White Sox protected uh and specifically let's start here James I'm interested to hear your take on Anderson Severino a left-handed pitcher that they kept signed from um it was a minor league free agent that they signed formerly of the New York Yankees and well, he, he pumps as a left-handed reliever in the upper 90s, even topping out at 101 down in Charlotte. Uh, what does that say about the left-handed depth uh, in terms of what the White Sox have currently across their 40-man roster? And do you think Severino is a legitimate big league piece for 2022?
2: I mean, it certainly indicates that they're prepared for him to be. I th- still think there's kind of a sustained you know, multi-week, multi-month track record of, um, you know, strike throwing that they probably want to see, uh, out of him in triple a, I'd be surprised if he cracked the opening day roster with the big spring. Um, since ultimately I think that bullpen will be, um, probably opening with crochet and bummer in it. Uh, all things being equal. uh, Uh, when does the season start? April 1st. Um, so I, I think it speaks to the lack of depth behind it in terms of, or at least they, the fact that they're actively kind of recruiting some depth at, behind it after cutting loose Jace Fry. Um, you know, kind of left-handed relief depth is something that they've... You've seen them very intentionally try to add, whether it's when they were making IFA trade, bonus rule trades, or, uh, you know, something that you, for their senior signs at the back of draft, one of whom is now, you know, added to the 40 man roster with Ben Souza. Um, yeah, it, it, it seems to me that they just are, are sensing both a bit of a need there and also that's not really you know left-handed really specialist um is not going to be something that necessarily going to be putting a big uh major league free agent contract on so kind of trying to find some on the minor league free agent market uh is what they're trying to do obviously the potential if you get really any kind of consistency strike throwing severino is 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 very significant with his velocity um but you know i I would probably say that was surprised when i heard it was going down that he's getting added but it seems like along with Souza, you know, maybe a lot of guys had a, a little bit better um, end of the AAA season under, uh, you know, Matt Seleski in Charlotte than maybe I was paying attention to fully when, you know, this, this team was a, you know, winning division up top uh, and uh, going to the playoffs.
0: Yeah. Our guy, Jeff Cohen down in Charlotte was really high on Severino. When he saw him, obviously the velocity jumps off the page at you. And I, and I said, Kevin Gaussman, I don't know why I said Kevin Gosman. Kendall Graveman, a right-handed reliever coming to the White Sox from the Houston Astros. It's a big, depth bolstering effort from Rick Hahn, Uh, and interesting to see that he went after bullpen depth, and I'm not sure how much the CBA, James, has an influence on, you know, specific, I guess it's different case by case, but how the market plays out for specific positions, and it seems like reliever is coming off the board here early. Do you think the CBA, you know, scheduled to expire following December 1st, has anything to do with the way the marketplace is shaping out Early, how much of the CBA negotiations do you think is going to impact um, free agent signings this offseason and trades as well?
2: I mean, other than the obvious with the the huge split of um, there's going to be a free agency of what we're going through, which you know feels almost like a normal offseason right now before it, and you know probably the mad dash is going to come after it. Uh, hopefully, not too mad of a dash because hopefully it gets resolved in you know weeks and or a month and not you know multiple months. But I, I think it's probably a case by case basis. I don't think it's necessarily the relief market uh, as a whole, um, you know, being affected more by it. Um, you know, I think Han has spoken pretty clearly that they they felt, you know, as much as you might see that there are organizational candidates to kind of fill up in the bullpen need. He treated everyone he's moving out of the bullpen, with that being Kopech, with that being Tapera being a free agent, with that being you know the high likelihood that they're trading Craig Kimbrell as slots that they want to proactively fill. So. I wasn't surprised, like the investment is large, three years for reliever is not something the White Sox do um, willy-nilly, even though they have done in the past. Um, You know, someone like a signing like Kelvin Herrera might have happened, you know, specifically because they didn't have to go three years for it, for example. Um, I I definitely thought they were going to go out and get right-handed relief help and and be very proactive about it um, and, and probably still continue to add at least one more major league contract to it. And, you know, Graveman being someone who's kind of, you don't have to really stress out maybe about um, the role or the fit uh, given that he's kind of pitched all over. Um, I, I think uh, probably fits him pretty well. Um, I, I It's probably more specific to Graveman or, or what he wanted to do um, that he signed before the, the CBA splitting that I would say it's about the relief market particularly that day when that happened, um, you know, we were all kind of prepared for, you know, something else happening. Cause you know, the athletic, we had we had heard that they were kind of having action or having conversations with Eduardo Escobar. So the fact that they're coming around, that was the thing that broke. And you know, Escobar winds up going to the Mets. Um, that was kind of the surprise. So I don't think it's just specifically drilling down on relievers. I think they're 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 searching for all their needs right now, um, because it, it's kind of proceeding like a normal off season until the split happens.
1: Yeah, I mean, the whole thing is you know super. Interesting for somebody like me, but I think most people hate you know that they're gonna be talking about collective bargaining as much as they are, but like you, I hope you know even like a month I think I could deal with, but you know like into February or something would be pretty terrible, I would think, so you know you mentioned earlier that the two players or at least Bennett Sosa that the White sox did protect uh for the forty man for the rule five, obviously, we have no idea when the rule five draft will actually. Occur, You know, my question, you know, two guys, Cade McClure and Hunter Shriver, who were mentioned last year by Baseball America and other publications as guys who maybe had some interest from clubs in the Rule 5 and then obviously weren't selected. Why do you think the White Sox chose, you know, to protect the two players they did and to not protect those two guys?
2: I think for I think it's ultimately upside. Um, Souza, you know, really has been more of a low upside guy. You know, even when he got added, I kind of felt like Souza, the kind of guy who's been kind of, you know, going about his business, getting out lefties level to level, but not necessarily, you know, showed as a shutdown guy. Um, he just, you know, talking to scouts after he got added, is was like, yeah, he kind of took off the last couple of weeks. He legitimately did hit 98 uh, at the end of the season and in a, in AAA and has been getting more worse than a slider. Um, so if that's a guy who's upper 90s, you know, Lefty fastball slider, that's obviously a different conversation than he's 90 and just kind of, um, you know, pedestrian pedestrian college lefty reliever. Um, so I, I think he's probably a lot more of a guy that they can see, you know, maybe carving out a role as a specialist than Hunter Shriver, who's got that vert- vertical fastball action, um, but, you know, struggled a bit in A at this point. And so you see another leap of performance like the one, you know, Sousa just had, uh, you probably see as a bit more of an up and down guy. That's not necessarily someone is going to crack your, your playoff bullpen next season until something happens. And yeah, you know, there was a lot of rule five interest, uh, in Shriver last year. And I would anticipate that again, since now he's healthy, given that people, teams were looking at him, uh, coming off of TJ last year. So it's definitely a risk. Um, but maybe it's just about, it's weird because as I think I wrote in a piece, like the last couple of times they come through this, they've used all their slots, um, you don't need to, like, reserve slots for free agents. You can always DFA people when you sign them. So the fact that they're, like, going in um, to this deadline with 35 slots on the 40-man, leaving five open, it's a very intentional, like, there's there's no real benefit to doing it. Um, so I think with McClure, like, yeah, he had a solid season. I think he even, like, Pipeline might have given him even pitcher of the year or something in the system. He was, he was definitely affecting Birmingham. But uh, with, with the, the struggles he had in Charlotte and maybe – you know, the velocity not taking up quite as high as it was in Instrux, uh last year consistently. Maybe they're just not seeing more than kind of a spare starter at this point, and they're looking for somebody who had his best with Billis with having four pitches and, you know, having the slider he's had, you know, maybe even hoping that when he gets back to having some of a season under his belt uh, and not wearing down a little bit down the stretch of the way he did, getting back to that 94-95 that he, he's shown in the past, so Maybe they seem a bit more like this is a guy who actually does make starts for us and is effective rather than up here emergency guy. And that's how it goes. But yeah, I, I was surprised. I, I thought just given the available slots that they had, given that they gave McClure an invite to spring training at Bigley Clamp last year and he seemed to hold his own all right, um, that they would kind of continue the the route that they had there. But um, apparently it's not the case. And we'll kind of see how it goes. Maybe the rule five winds up being kind of weird this year because of the compressed um, um, you know, post-lockout offseason. Like, I don't know how aggressive you can be in Rule 5 if you're also, you know, kind of having all your free agency in a two-week period as well. Uh kind of remains to be seen. I don't know how much the White Sox can see the future with that, but um, it- it's hard to say that these guys are absolutely going to get taken because um, it's not it- – it's more of a risk than, a, you know, throwing them away.
1: Yeah, so I guess, like, just in that regard, do you think, you know, just from your experience covering the team that they – do you think like they would have some inclination maybe that those two guys aren't going to get picked or is it more so like if they did, you know, this is like the chance they're willing to take type thing?
2: Yeah, you know, they've done their – I have not seen them, you know, lose a lot of people um, in the, the Rule 5 draft in, in five years. I think we all, uh, you know, <laughs> real real 90s kids remember, uh, you know, being freaked out that Jordan Guerrero was going to get plucked away from the Rule 5 draft, but they <laughs> seem to have accurately – uh, you know, assuage the market there. And, you know, kind of all the decisions, especially like picking up the Kimberl option, which, you know, in a vacuum probably seems a little wacky if you're turning around a stadium, you know, comes from you know doing your research ahead of time and kind of knowing what teams feel about guys. So, um, you know, maybe they're, they're a little bit worried or, or a little bit assured that maybe the, the interest is not that hot as I thought, but, you know, maybe they're just a little bit out of these guys and, you know, it kind of remains to be seen. You, you talked
1: about the free agency plan, you know, briefly, and they signed a, you know, like an eighth inning guy, obviously, and you, you know, you mentioned that they were in the second base market and, you know, Bob Nightingale and others have, you know, said that they're in the top of the market for some guys. But my question is just like right field, I'm sure they have, you know, alternate paths and a bunch of different ways that they can go, but do do you think they see right field as a need or is there some way that they think Andrew Vaughn and Sheets and all these guys, like the situation they currently have is like tenable if they upgrade, you know, like just pitching and second base or whatever, where they would go into the season kind of with what they have in right field. Yeah. I
2: I think it's a mark, a situation where they can kind of be like, it's not like we need a, we need a competent right fielder no matter what. Uh, It's not like uh, something like that. It's more, would this guy add a dynamic or add balance or like add, you know, lefty OBP skills or add more power that we were lacking or match up in a certain way that really enhances our offense uh, more than like we can't get by, which is, you know, with all like due respect to, to Romy Gonzalez and Danny Medic, those are guys who have not like hit consistently at major league level yet. Like you, you really don't have any at second base you can say with full confidence, like, yeah, we've seen a lot of evidence that it can be a major league records regular. So that's more of the absolute need position, and I think they approach it that way. Whereas right field, you're not going to get somebody who's defensively limited, uh, unproven OBP skills with left-handed power because you have that. That's Gavin Cheats. Um, you're not going to get, you know, um, you know, someone who's defensively limited, but you know, right-handed, but hasn't seen all of his uh, power impact uh, come yet because that's Andrew Vaughn. Um, you're not going to get a fourth outfielder glove first guy. Um, you're not sure if you could hit righties on an everyday basis because that's a mangle. So it would have to be somebody who brings like a specific new dynamic to that, and they'd have to have a lot of confidence in that rather than just, you know, getting a clone of, of somebody who fits the type of what you already have. Whereas Back when they acquired, you know, Cesar Hernandez at the deadline, yeah, Cesar Hernandez is not what anybody dreams of as like the trade deadline acquisition. But the second base um, was at a point where they just really had nobody as far as like who could go out there and be a regular starter. You were putting out Larry Garcia there. Wound up doing that anyway in the playoffs, but that's now a position where you know you just have to add something, and you, you need hopefully an impact, but you just need major league regular competence uh, at that point. So. I think your point is well-founded about the difference of those two positions for them right now.
0: Really good perspective, especially regarding right field and how the White Sox have plenty of depth in that position to be smart about how they want to approach both because you're right. I think second base is is clearly the priority at this point And, and staying within the organization. I mean, you mentioned Romy Gonzalez and, How about Yolbert Sanchez? I mean, I'm not expecting these players to step in even as early as next year regularly to make an impact, but in terms of organizational depth, how do you believe the White Sox feel about players like Romy and Yolbert Sanchez?
2: I mean, I think what you want, and I don't know if they've necessarily reached this point, is that you don't want to have to re-sign your Larry Garcias in free agency. You want to be able to internally replace them. So that's kind of the goal that you have when you have a, um, you know, Robbie Gonzalez, you know, Danny Mendick, um, even a down the road Yulbert Sanchez, or maybe a Jose Rodriguez. You know, maybe you obviously hope for maybe a bit more pop and offensive impact from uh, Jose Rodriguez, but there's a reason that dude is playing multiple positions. He could be that guy who gets 300, 400 played appearances and a, a variety of roles and, you know, helps you out uh, type of player. So I think... All those guys have a clear um, opportunity to kind of be that or step into that role over the next year or two. It remains to be seen how to handle it immediately. um, Obviously, you can hope for and and have some optimism for maybe more offensive impact or um, for Rodriguez. Or I think if, you know, maybe Tim Anderson wasn't there, you'd probably be a bit more like hoping that Gilbert Sanchez really got to the point where he was, you know, could be a defensive first shortstop down the road. But, you know, that's not necessarily how the roster currently is constructed right now. Um, but I, I, I don't think all, any of them kind of rise to the point of saying, you know, this guy is going to give you 110 WRC plus from second base over 600 plate appearances. So I think that's why it really necessitates a free agent addition, uh, at least to buy you time to kind of further analyze if someone else can step up and fill that role or someone's ceiling is a little bit higher than you thought down the road. But they don't they definitely don't have that kind of um, flexibility right now or, or, you know, track record with any of those guys to really say they can step in and do that immediately.
0: So the White Sox decided not to offer Carlos Rodon the qualifying offer. What was your interpretation of that development? And obviously, if the White Sox had offered the qualifying offer and Rodon declined, they would have gotten a compensatory pick following the second round. You know, obviously, that's the compensation. However, there there's a reason they declined to offer the QO to Rodon. What was your interpretation of it?
2: what they they felt it would put uh, the ball in Rodon's court to really kind of have like a really high AV offer in hand and uh, kind of fetch what he would get on the market uh, or, or kind of scan what they're doing in the market, go at like, you know, he gets, uh, you know, seven days or 10 days. I forget the actual deadline um, to kind of scan what he'd be able to get and then come back. So while, you know, Boris publicly stated, uh, That you know, they would never have accepted it and they're seeking multi year deals. Um, the they think they have to take that with a big grain of salt because he basically has this kind of free window to just scan if that's really going to happen and then come back, especially you know, with the QO tag being put on him and probably reducing his market. Uh, you know, that obviously they had a high suspicion that he would have taken it, and ultimately the fact that they're unwilling to take it, um, as much as you know, I think you know, things would be better if he just had a really High free agent budget, and you took a lot of you know risks like that, especially with someone high ceiling, um, and and use them as a rotation depth, and not really worried about like fixing yourself on just five six slots of, uh, of starters. Um, ultimately, the, there's just not the kind of faith in you know the health after the way the second half petered out. Even if you know the the, the optimism is that he'd be better or stronger, or once he has the a base under him, he's going to be better in the second half. With all he's been through with all the track record and the way things kind of wore down at the end of last season, they were not willing to go to 118 with him. They they didn't think that jump up in value match with uh, what they felt he'd be able to deliver. So that, that's kind of GM speak, but it, it comes down to how his health profile is out. And you know, obviously that's always been a huge question with Don and I don't think it just went away from being awesome under Ethan Katz for you know four months
0: I, I think it probably lingers for him and, you know
2: remains to be seen what teams are willing to do with him even with the uh the QO stripped away
0: and related to the starting rotation now James we can expect Michael Kopech to be slotted in you know he's going to work this off season, hopefully to get stretched out and handle you know multiple outings consistently and a heavy heavier innings load uh, across 162 I mean that's something that you know of course that so we're going to take a keen interest in but James in your opinion what should the White Sox do with Garrett Crochet
2: um I mean from a prospect development standpoint uh you know you if you think he's a starter you got to start working him towards a starter uh, at some point right um you know we we watched him pitch in relief you know even when he has multiple innings it's just going to be really hard to get him out of fastball slider mode when he's competing in these short inning bursts I mean Hell, it was hard to get Michael's Kopech out of fastball slider mode pretty much all down the second half when he's trying to compete as a reliever. Um, that's kind of the nature of the position. It's just not going to allow you to uh, work three, four pitches the, the way that you want to eventually build up starters do to turn over a lineup two, three times. So from that standpoint, I certainly get... Uh, that would probably be ideal, maybe send him down to the high minors, maybe double A, uh, triple A to, to work as a starter. Um, but from the White Sox... With an organization that one doesn't have like this, you know, Dodger level pitching depth to just churn out uh, high level arms and perpetuity, where you know Crochet, you know, because he is a special talent in his own right, but also is a special talent in terms of the pitching depth in the organization. And you're in your compete now window. Um, I just don't see how they can uh, pull him away from a bullpen that needs them because, like, if all the frustrating outings tosse' from crochet last season all the uh, you know location outages you know his velocity backing down to like you know there's some outings where you're only at 95 and being kind of worrisome with that he was a well above average reliever for all the entire seasons I just don't think the bullpens in a position where you can kind of pry him away and uh you know put your best team out there and really compete effectively they're, they're already in a position where they really need you know, two or three new guys to really step up and uh, help them to replace, you know, Tepera, to pair to place Kopech, to place what, you know, at least he wanted Kimberl to be. Um, they're already in a position where their late inning, high leverage crew doesn't really go much beyond Bummer, um, Hendrix, and now Graveman. So ha- having a fourth guy in there that you really trust, uh, who really has, you know, plus stuff, I don't think they can afford to do that. You know, I don't, and I don't think Rick Hahn is not in the business of kind of floating out scenarios. <laughs> that they don't intend to follow up on, which is why it's a, you know, uh, you know, beeping red you know flag, uh, high alert when he talks about openly about trading Kimbrel. And when he talked, the first scenario he keeps floating out is moving uh crochet into like a Copec role of extended relief outings or doing two or three outings at a time, but really still staying part of that major league bullpen. That seems like the direction of leaning. And while I don't know if that's going to really work as far as moving him closer to being a starter, um, I also don't know how they could really uh, contend the way they want to contend, and just you know, kind of take out Garrett Crochet and kind of put him to the side. Like, hey, we're working you towards the future. Meanwhile, we'll fend off with what we have, which because they just don't have two, three, four Garrett Crochets hopping off the farm system that they can slide in and, and, and put in relief, and while this other one develops as a starter, they, I just don't think they can afford it from a talent perspective.
1: Yeah, that makes sense totally. So with Kopech, I mean, going to the rotation, he's obviously going to be like on an innings limit, you know. So, what do you think they believe they need to do as far as like another starter? I mean, like the you know, like the rumors are out there that, you know, maybe they would look at a, at the super high end of the market. Obviously, I think a lot of us are probably skeptical of that, but also like I don't even know if that's necessarily like what they need. So, what like what do you think they because they have five starters, but, you know, one of them's Kopak and one of them's Keichel at the moment. So, they, you know, they have to right. get another starter. You know, what do you, what do you think, I guess, makes sense, like, as, you know, that person, basically? Well,
2: yeah, one of your starters, like, it'd be amazing if he pitched 140 innings, and one of your starters would be, like, awesome if he had a 4 So um Well, so
1: I mean, does that, like, do you think they need two, or is it one? Like, no, I mean,
2: I, I mean, essentially, I don't think you can... There's a certain point where like I don't know, there's a strain of um like White Sox Twitter like back in the day that like just wanted to sign everybody and on the one hand, like, yes, I get it, and yes, you should be pressing your team to like be doing the most at all times. But also there is like a point where like, you know, like this guy is not gonna sign a major league free agent deal to like be your backup backup outfielder, right? Like you want somewhere that he wants to go get at bats. So like there's a limit to which at like the talent level you can be like, you're kind of our seventh starter behind like Kopac, like when Kopac gets tired or Keiko doesn't work, like you're the guy. Like you're not uh, Kevin Gausman's not going to be like, all right, I I take that role. Um, So (laughs) I I think it's uh, I think they would love um, to get basically Carlos Rodon again, which is not to say Carlos Rodon, but like someone they can get to. Who has a high ceiling? Um, who can come in and compete for like a, a end of rotation role? But they can coach up and try to get you know maybe number four, number three started production out of him. Obviously, Rodon wound up being even higher than that at points. But, um, I think it's a more the more likely. I think they're definitely shopping at the high level. They're definitely looking for, uh, you know, fits of where they could get high impact. I, you know, in the past, definitely with Lance Lynn, definitely with Dallas Keuchel. I think short. Year high IAV deals with veterans who are maybe a little bit older tends to be where they can get kind of impact talent through rotation without having that, um, you know, total guarantee number that's in the upper stratosphere that we haven't seen them ever really shop in before. Like, you know, getting the guy you think is really good at age 33 for 20 million a year seems like a bridge that they more easily cross than you know, giving seven years to somebody who's 29 years old and, you know, $200 million. Obviously, we've literally never seen them do that before. So that doesn't seem like the role they would get. So I, I think probably veteran depth or someone they feel is untapped upside who, you know, can come in with the potential of like, hey, you're competing for the fifth starter spot or, hey, you're in a swingman role um, or you know, hey, we're continuing to start the rotation, but you know we're going to have a you know extended breaks for Kopech, so you're going to have regular opportunities. Um, I think something like that is what I'm at least expecting. And not like you know because I'm getting uh, source information about a list of dudes like that they're specifically pursuing right at this moment, but that just seems more in their shopper range for a team that wants an impact level second baseman, probably wants another reliever, and. You know, is like at least looking in the outfield field or, or looking for another bat to kind of add, add this lineup. I think there's probably budget room to shop for somebody who wants, you know, $20 million a year on a, a short term basis, but I don't know exactly what the fit would be for that. You know, now that, you know, if there is not quite up to do that for Rodan or if Verlander was something they were pining for and now it's gone, you know, it, it might take a really specific um, fit to find something like that. But uh, I, I definitely think they're going to add a starter uh, in some form or, or bolster the starter depth because they need it and they know they need it. Um, but it, 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 I don't. I'd be surprised. I think everyone would be surprised that, that, that they landed Robbie Ray, even if they're being you know connected to Robbie Ray right now. I think they have to like look into stuff like that. But it usually tends. It literally has never been an area where they shot before. Uh, I know if they do, Rick Allen will make specific mention about how we all doubted him, uh, and you know it'd be his right <laughs> to do that. Uh, But until that happens, I'd be surprised by
1: it. Yeah, completely agree. So, uh, you know, I want to shift gears a little bit. Um, You know, the story that you wrote on Norhe Vera, um, I thought was really good. So great job on that. I I guess, like, how did you decide, I guess, to take it the direction in which you did, you know, just like with Lincoln, the Jose Contreras stuff. And then obviously, like, he's super exciting. And, you know, we kind of talked off air. Like I, like, I kind of think he's their number one prospect. I understand why others would disagree, but I guess just, you know, in your process of writing it, like how, how excited should people be just, you know, about this guy, even, you know, even with the fact that he's like only pitched in the DSL, obviously.
2: I think anybody with like starter build and like, you know, repeatable delivery who throws like a hundred, you know, is exciting. (laughs) So, uh, I, I think there's probably a lot of narrative reasons, uh, to be excited, mate, and you want to try to stick towards you know the raw ingredients and, and not focus on like oh he's the son of Norhe Vera and he's the, uh, um, you know the close family friend of Jose Contreras and Contreras is training under him. Like, I I just saw that they were working together and I thought like well that's so perfect. I already knew that like, you know his his father being who he is that they must be really close to Jose. You know, me being me, I was asking Jose, like, what pitches does he throw? How is he, like, tunneling it? And, like, what kind of action is he getting? And he he talked a little about that. But, you know, you can't talk to him very long without realizing just, like, personally how much this means to him and, um, you know, the depth of, like, his relationship with his father. And and I think even Jose himself, knowing his role is kind of as a, you know, a special instructor and, uh, you know, someone who's kind of, he wanted to really emphasize helping Norie with the acculturation. I don't think he wanted to like you know step on the toes of you know anybody at the White Sox pitching development staff and say like oh I'm teaching him the fork ball and he's going to be a clone of me. I I think he wanted to like go light on that. Like yeah, he's, how can you not show him that? But now can he's going to you know see, tell him things he sees. But he really wanted to emphasize like you know it was extremely difficult for me coming over uh to Cuba. Like, You know he got he was basically billed as like a star immediately and, you know, went right to New York. And, you know, as a lot of the Cuban defectors uh, is the case, you know, he doesn't come through the Dominican program where he's getting English lessons, um, you know, from the age of 16, where, you know, your average 22 year old Dominican prospect, like at least has the tools to kind of get by day to day life without, you know, being super encumbered. So he was really in a tough situation. And, you know, I understand that's why he's just, it's so, paramount for him to make kind of things easier uh, for an area And, you know, as great as Jose Contreras is and as much pitching knowledge as he has, and I'm sure is imparting, that's probably the biggest value add that he knows he can provide is just like preparing this guy for what pro ball is going to be like stateside and what the demands are going to be of a schedule and, and uh, you know, balancing um, rest and, and training. Like <laughs> one of the things that like Jose Contreras was like happiest about was, that like Noriega Vera was like, you know, hanging out at night playing video games with his kids. And that was because he wanted to like, he basically didn't want to go out back to Miami and hang out with his friends and go out and party because like he wanted, he was taking seriously uh, that he was training and like Jose Contreras, was, like, yeah, it took me probably a few years to really get that balance of like rest and work. And I was probably probably, if I was like him when I was 21, I'd probably be going out with my friends. So I, I, I think it's, at this point, you know, like obviously, I'm excited as anybody to see him pitch and um, you know, stateside this year and break down his stuff and see how the secondaries are coming along. Since you know, if we talk critically from scouts, it's about like, yeah, the velo is obviously awesome, the starter frame is awesome, but we want to see you know, maybe more some more progress with some of those breaking stuff and the slider. Um, but you know, it seems like his focus right now is just getting him ready for that. And I, I think you know, in a couple of months, ideally without a locked out uh, spring training, um, is really when we're going to start you know, talking about like, all right, what's the next step um, for him uh, pitching development-wise? Because, you know, really there's a, you know, high possibility he comes in and maybe A-ball doesn't challenge him either after, you know, kind of clearly the DSL did it. He's just kind of got like that velocity and raw stuff where, you know, it might take a year or two before you really start. It, it really might take the higher levels before we see some true test of his talent. You know, That's kind of what the case winds up being. With your top level guys, and you know that was even true for Kopech. Like Kopech, like walked like five, six guys per nine innings in a ball with the Red Sox, but it really didn't matter because you know stuff was that good. It really wasn't until like Double A, Triple A that you start seeing the meaningful development. Same with same with Cease to a degree.
1: Yeah, so that's the other thing I was just gonna, and you know, obviously, like they probably don't know exactly like where he's going, and obviously, we've seen with some of these international guys with the you know with the the bonus. You know, just the weird, it happened with Luis Robert too, right? Like, Norha Vera is in the DSL, but he probably shouldn't have been in the DSL, but they left him there so he could get all of his money, which, you know, is notable. Um, So I guess, like, do you have any inclination as to, like, is it probably, like, Winston, you know, maybe, I mean, you know, it's probably canny for sure, but I mean, yeah, like, he might be more advanced than that. Maybe it's just, like, they have to see him and then decide, kind of, but you expect him to be in, you know, stateside for spring training, obviously.
2: Yeah, I definitely expect him to see, like, he's already here. Um, I, I expect him to probably be at one of the full, well, <laughs> forget that great Falls doesn't exist. I expect him to, but I, I think he could be a guy who maybe, you know, nukes candy for like a month and they're like, all right, you know, you, you've shown us that, um, you know, to show the proper amount of caution and, and not too much on his table or, or not give him an aggressive assignment. But um, yeah, I would expect him to be at Winston or have a, be one of those guys if he stuns at Winston has a shot to maybe get a start or two at Birmingham to get his feet wet. Like, you know, they've done with a couple of guys over the last few years. Um, probably depends a little bit how he shows in um, spring and, you know, you know, something, you know, as much as just the DSL and maybe quote unquote acclimating, uh, but, you know, shoulder soreness slowed him down a little bit in his debut and, and making and pitching this year. So obviously they want to manage that very carefully because, you know, I don't think you're allowed to say shoulder with a pitcher without everyone gasping and, Um, that's warranted so I I think it's careful but it's a still a debut where his talent can probably dictate where he goes
0: as we're feeling optimistic about the White Sox depth in in terms of their farm system we get some breaking news as we're recording with James Feagan and the state champion James Fox looks like Marcus Simeon is going to the Rangers according to multiple reports seven-year deal for Marcus Simeon there goes a target potentially for the White Sox, uh, those who were dreaming. Uh, Fegan James, he, he made it pretty clear that, you know, obviously the second base is a priority. This offseason for the White Sox, Marcus Simeon no longer an option, according to reports, as well as, I'll about this, Byron Buxton, seven years, $100 dollar million, uh, $1 million contract to stay with the Minnesota Twins, according to John Paul Morosi. So a couple of breaking news items for you live here on the future Sox podcast that you're probably listening to uh, multiple days from now in terms of this recording anyway. Yeah. So, Hey, general reaction to that, uh, James, uh, send me into the Rangers and Buxton stick with the twins.
2: I text Dan Hayes too much to not know that like they <laughs> had not given up on Buxton and we're yeah. trying to hash out an extension. Um, I, I say this as someone who's like, I don't want to be, every time a team has a bad season or like they don't project to like contend that they should just rebuild and there's no path like going forward um, type of mentality. Uh, but I saying that I don't understand necessarily what the twins are doing uh, the next couple seasons. Like obviously it's a very, you know, we Buxton like legitimately has MVP ceiling. Like I know, cause we've all seen it, but we also don't know if you can stay healthy. Uh, but moreover, I just like think that pitching staff is a year or two away from really being able to prop up a contender. Like when they made that decision to trade Barrios, like as much as like I understand it from like you, you're not getting him to sign an extension standpoint, or at least not from the prices they wanted, um, that they have to like trade him at that at the last deadline with a year and a half left was a way to kind of get you know Austin Martin out of it. Um, there's just not anybody major league ready for them who's a front of a rotation guy like Bailey Ober had like a nice season for them. Uh, they got some other options. Uh, you know, who's the like Joe Ryan, you know, obviously pitched very well on the stretch. Um, but you'd be very happy if those guys became threes and you wouldn't expect them to do that next year. So it's, I just don't see it, unless they're going to be insanely aggressive in free agency, which isn't really like the vibe that they're giving off. It's just hard to see them doing more with the rotation. That's just like a bunch of guys that you, back end or you hope are in the middle at some point so I don't see an immediate route to making the ton out of the first year uh, of Buxton's extension uh, maybe the next year after that either uh, I, I know their farm system has you know hope in it uh, from the pitching side but um, it seems like it's a little hard road, road to hoe as far as like making, making the playoffs or, or returning to contention with the first two years of his extension and Obviously, there's a ton of injuries. Um, you kind of hate to speculate on it, but do you start seeing like the accumulation of those even more in the back end of seven years? It's uh, you know, I get why you sign like a literal MVP talent um, who's homegrown and widely beloved, and you're trying to like put out an entertaining club uh, during those lean years, which is important. Um, but it, it it definitely it's a tricky path for them to weave, um, which is weird to say because obviously this. This time last year, we thought they were you know division favorites, and now I'm like, when will they ever be good again? So yeah. you know, it could be a surprise. Um, and for Simeon, like, yeah, we this is somewhat what we expected that you know one of these teams that's looking for like a literal centerpiece um, was going to like the Rangers, who have been very open about like how much uh, they want to throw around money, was going to kind of make them the centerpiece of their offseason and make them that kind of ad. Um, So that always seemed like a team that was going to be able to or willing to just kind of overpay the way you need to overpay in free agency um, more than a team was like, we have a division favorite that needs a second baseman. Um, That's not to say the White Sox shouldn't have done it. They should have. They always should spend as much as they possibly can and make the best team. Um, But knowing that they're operating within the budget that they always are operating within, it, it wasn't something I was really expecting.
0: Yeah, that is a tricky situation with Buxton. Uh, I, I hear you. I hear you. Uh, playing both sides there, I get it. But you know, bringing it up because interdivision now suddenly the, the Detroit Tigers figure to be pretty competitive coming up in twenty twenty two, and you're obviously keeping an eye on the newly um, Cleveland Guardians as well as now the Twins. Still kind of like down on on the on the Royals, James. You still feeling? Eh, they're they're not there yet.
2: I'm. Like, they're probably a year away just in terms of pitching, yeah. I would say. And maybe, like, a little surprise that they kept, kept, like, the Major League Pitching coaching staff, like, intact, given the struggles they had. But MJ Melendez is a dude. Bobby Witt's a dude. They got, right. like, you know, Nick Prado tore apart AAA pitching. Like, they're I think they're just a year away in terms of being, like, a real threat just because there's so many guys who are just going to be rookies and you can't expect to, you know, rookies to be absolute immediate monsters um with some exceptions but i think the offense you know that's really close to being very very troubling and so right i wouldn't i wouldn't be dismissive of them I, I you obviously want to see a bit more i think there was a good really good start that daniel lynch had in uh in, in chicago that kind of flashed what he could do and but you, you want to see a bit more from like guys like him or jackson kowar and um you know, a, a bit more of their young pitching coming through and, and really providing an impact. Jeez, um, like, just saw Abbas Aiel sign as well. This market might be getting a little crazy in the next couple of days. I, I think that they're they're, they're very interesting uh, from their, their, their prospect system. They've had an opportunity to really select the top of the draft year in, year out, and they're going to see the results of that. So I don't think, like, this is just, you know, a, a hundred-year reign of the White Sox ruling the division by any means. <laughs> especially since, you know, I think the my biggest takeaway from Detroit, Casey Mize is good. Tariq Scubal, I really like. Um, Matt Manny has been ranked highly, so I, I think he'll probably be better than he was last year. They were 77 and 85 with otherwise no guys on that roster that I would want. Like, they look at their lineup like they were putting out. I was just like, how are they? This, is, this doesn't seem competitive. This doesn't seem like it really has anybody that should be here when they're really good. So the fact that they were uh, I, I hate to just, like, kind of throw my hands up and say, oh, Hinch is a magician. Uh, but I don't understand how, how they are good as they were given their personnel offensively. So it kind of stands to reason, you know, when they do have Bradley Green, when they do have Spencer Torkelson, maybe they're a team that just play, They're Maybe they're the reincarnation of the, um, you know, annoying Twins teams to the early 2000s or the Royals teams to the 2010s that um, just play really well or play really son- fundamentally sound or really aggressive on the base paths. Seem to be better than their personnel because they certainly were last year.
0: Here we are thinking out loud for the 2022 season, and CBA is about to expire. How about that? I, I, I'm with you. I hope you know this doesn't go too long, months at a time, where we're seriously thinking. Okay, you know, getting close to March now, and this isn't settled. Let's not get to that point. A couple more, James. Really appreciate your time before we let you go. You know, you're, you're talking about the Twins and the Royals and the Tigers and even the Guardians as well as we mix them all up there in the Central. How would you kind of evaluate the White Sox starting pitching depth in terms of organizationally? Like, we look across the board in the immediate sense, we're thinking Jimmy Lambert, Jonathan Stever, Billis, we mentioned, as well as a part of this thing now suddenly. But then beyond that, you know, Cade McClure, too, we talked about. They're young and there's still time, but among those young players, is there legit promise there? with the Matthew Thompson, Andrew Dahlquist and Kelly and even Tanner McDougal. And then at the same time, what do the white Sox have in the immediate sense? Is there anybody that you feel like you feel comfortable with that can maybe step in a month at a time if, if need be
2: a month at a time, I think is a, I mean, I've been one of the world's like biggest Jimmy Lambert advocates for the last couple of years. So I would have to say, you know, in, in the past, he's certainly shown stuff that he would be, someone who could step in for a month at a time or, uh, you know, I, I, I would especially say that, of like, you know, the guy who pitched in 2018 or 2019 um, pre-TJ, um, and I certainly thought he looked good in um, s- summer camp last year. Um, it, it didn't seem like quite the same level of swing and miss or the same level of stuff when he did get chances this season. And I don't know, if just kind of the weird build-up year or, or trying to keep him fresh and kind of keep him ready, how much it, like it, – it it seemed like it was inconsistent as far as getting his best self out there. And that's probably true for a lot of pitchers um, coming off the weird um, 2020 and him coming off an injury. Uh, so I would, he strikes to me as somebody who um, could do that. Um, Johnson Stever, certainly the way he looked in 2019, you know, the fact that his velocity was back uh, in spring training of uh, 2021 has um, someone who's been, had the upside to do that in the past. It, you also are going kind to of see how he comes out of lat surgery. Uh, so it's, it's a bit of a unknown and that, that's probably the biggest thing with their immediate starting depth. It's just a lot of unknown that I can't really see having the the front office having total confidence with just saying like, yeah, we can turn it over to him for a month or he can get six, seven starts and he'll be fine. I, I think right now there's really a gap between a really good starting rotation at the major league level. And you know, what you see as you're not a next wave of guys who, are not just spot starters, or are not just maybe number fives, uh, but you know somebody who are the next building blocks. When you talk about Matthew Thompson, or um, I, mean, I, I really love the upside of Dan McDougal, but obviously you're, you're with Tom and John, you're he was already an 18 year old high school kid, and now you're not going to see him pitch for another year. So I, I think the the biggest issue with their starting pitching depth is this possibly one to two year gulf uh, between what you have right now, which is going to get continuing more expensive, team more seasons of, you know, control of Lucas Giolito, and really kind of the guys with mid-rotation or higher upside to come and replace them. So from that, it seems like there's a lot of potential for them to have to pay for starting pitching in free agency, which they don't love doing, at the top of the market level, or, you know, kind of making more trades, which they don't have, you know, the biggest well of resources in terms of prospect capital to make. Uh, so that that seems to be it's a bit of a problem, but I think we'll possibly get, you know, a larger focus given on what they, what path they do to address it uh, going forward. Um, because I I think, you know, there are a lot of guys, Cade McClure, Jimmy Lambert, Jonathan Siever, that are major leaguers, but I don't know at what level. and I don't know if it's, you know, being the fourth starter on a playoff team yet. Uh, it really remains to be seen. And I, I think they'll probably need to make acquisitions to address that uncertainty.
1: James, one guy that our, you know, readers and listeners ask about all the time is, uh, Jose Rodriguez, you know, he, he hit as soon as he signed in the DSL and then he obviously hit in rookie ball too, but there were like a lot of questions just, you know, he hits, but he doesn't really walk. It's a super aggressive approach. Like whether he can stay at short, like I, you know, I've seen the same reports from, you know, scouts that have seen him, you know, he had a pretty good year. Have you heard from like external evaluators that like kind of feel, any differently does he hit enough to like overcome like some of the deficiencies and you know what are we looking at here like i assume he probably starts in birmingham i would guess
2: yeah i would assume the same for birmingham you know there have been scouts i talked to were like i didn't like him in spring training but obviously he, you know you can't take away what he did he, he played really well or i still don't like him but you know he he's he's obviously been hitting so we'll have to see where it goes or um and you know but i haven't seen like obviously it's an aggressive approach but i haven't seen like a lot of doom and gloom about it um i don't think it's like people who just like say he doesn't know the zone or he doesn't recognize spin people like, think he does recognize spin it's just like that's the mode he's in um as far as being aggressive and he's not really at the level um of play or command where you know he's getting punished for it you know if you're even if your OBP is three twenty five, if you're hitting three three hundred, you know it's hard to really say like you're doing bad or, or feel like you need to like recalibrate recal- things or change your approach. Like it's hard for to get a prospect in the mode. So I think will always be an aggressive swing first hitter, but you know recently I've had some, you know people who people who really tend not to love White Sox prospects. We've given him like average tools across the board. And, you know, maybe that sounds underwhelming, but average tools across the board, you know, plays in the majors. and It's a middle infield position, possibly a long time. So I, I, I think there's, he's probably not, you know, he's going to be aggressive, but I don't think he's at the stage where you worry about it like nuking his career or, or undermining him in some big way you know, he he's it's not like he's, you know, dying the Seattle or something like that or it feels like there's some big deficiency with him. I just think he he's kind of geared that way. And he really like there are people who've liked them the Arizona Fall League and really like the swing and really like the kind of athleticism and the looseness of swing and the ability to swing has to kind of slow down and make adjustments when needed to to off speed. So I don't think you should think of him in terms of the next Tim Anderson or anything like that or you know, even get too crazy about like future above average regular but i, I think he's a guy who could play in the majors for a long time and you know i he reminds me a little bit of talking about uh you know yomer sanchez coming up um you know you obviously hope for a lot more offenses of upside but hey if we want to be crazy you know marcus Simeon coming up before he won southern league mvp was you know just yeah maybe you can buy be be a guy who plays at multiple positions and you know hits kind of league average and you know Every now and then, guys like that take off. So you don't you don't want to be, um, you don't want to put anything that he can't do because you know at this point all he's done in his pro career is perform. So a certain degree that has to say something.
1: Yeah, I was glad that they sent him to the AFL. I thought that was, you know, telling just as to like their thoughts about him, regardless of, you know, whether he was going to play well there or not. So, you know, last thing I have for you, you obviously, you wrote about the AFL, you wrote about instruct. you talked to Chris Getz. It was a while ago, obviously, but just what was the, I guess, your most interesting takeaway or tidbit just, you know, from instruct. I don't know if you were there, but I know you talked to Getz. So like, what was, I guess, something that maybe piqued your interest that, happened there or something that they talked about that they were happy about there. Hmm.
2: Now I'm trying to like pull it up to see what I was talking about. <laughs> yeah, I
1: know there was a lot on the, you know, like the, the prep arms, obviously I thought it was interesting that the prep, like they were like, yeah, they're all going to Winston, which, okay. Like obviously with the lost season and stuff, it's a little bit weird. It doesn't really matter where they pitch as long as they pitch. But I guess I was a little caught off guard that like all of them maybe were going there, but I guess that makes some sense.
2: Well, I was like, softly uh, touching on the topic of Tanner McDougal, because obviously he had just gone down to surgery, and it's kind of like, what what can you say about it? Like, it's a bummer. And Getz was, like, striking this optimistic tone. He's like, well, high school arm, uh, just coming into the system, you know, coming off, like, a weird COVID season as abbreviated, we were going to be really careful with him. We were going to really manage his workload. We were really going to focus on, like, clean arm action and, you know, uh, tossing sidelines and not, like, building up some huge inning base. Well, now we'll be really careful about it because he's just going to be throwing rehab. Like, he was trying to, like the, – the idea for him was that, like, the first year off of um, picking a prep pick without many innings or not having – like, he had the weirdest, like, high school season in Vegas. Like, I want to say it was, like, less than 10 starts. Uh, and they were all, like, short innings. Was that – he was going to be so limited, and it was going to be so much like kind of building him from the ground up with this raw stuff, and you know, giving him like a you know a clean uh, delivery and all that, and uh, working out the kinks. That how much was you know his throwing rehab, which is going to be kind of the same process, and you often talk about you know Chopac being an example of guys who cleaned up their, their delivery during uh, you know TJ rehab. You just kind of like just model like how much of a setback is it really going to be? This is just going to be, we're, we're doing something. Now it's just more regimented. Something that we were already going to try to achieve through what game action he was going to get. So, I still think extremely projectable. Six uh, six high school right hander who already is hit upper to mid nineties and has a three thousand spin RPM and was raised by uh, a former uh, guy who I, I think Mike his um, his dad Mike McDougal got to like double or triple A and his best friend like Josh Towers like. You know, uh, kind of taught him since he was a very young age pitching. I already thought that McDougall had a really good chance of being the best arm um, in that they that took in that draft. And now that's not saying nothing because Sean Burke had a really good uh, pro debut. Um, but I, I still think even after this injury that like he's I obviously you want to see him pitch in real games, but once there is success there, I'm very ready to put him in the same conversation as Dalquist and Thompson as. You know, guys who can really be, you know, possibly above average starters for you in the future. Someone who, someone who needs can be a candidate in that next wave. So uh, if Gets to staying optimistic through an injury, um, I'll stay optimistic for now. It's not like I'm going to see him throw anytime soon.
0: Yeah, we were really taken aback too when we saw the RPMs, and and of course the high school arm is very intriguing to us. Seeing the White Sox commit to to prep players, whether it's pitchers or even position players across the last couple of drafts, has been pretty cool. Uh, so we're we're in the same boat. We're looking forward to watching them develop, and hopefully McDougal can return quickly. Uh, before we let you go, James, really good stuff. Like this is it's always a pleasure to chat with you. Love to get our baseball fill here in November uh, as we approach December. Do the White Sox trade Andrew Vaughn? Should they ever trade Andrew Vaughn? There's only one correct answer here.
2: <laughs> I'm uh, not expecting it. I would say it would have to come as a result. Like for me right now, you've like it would be like it's along the same lines of trading Eloy. It's just like, oh well, we think he's this generational talent, like offensively, but he just had a bad season, so let's give up and see what he's worth um so that, that's what trading Andrew Vaughn would be to me um i don't think you can move off crazily of the fu- the future batting champion type of projections that he had just a year ago um off of the season which was like just absurdly difficult in so many ways and just very challenging on the defensive end and you know he i think that back injury that he got toward the end as much as anything it was just fatigue of just a year that blows away anything he's had in previous terms of terms of workload. Um, it seemed like just a compensatory issue as far as just his legs getting tired. So I I think that mid season, Andrew Vaughn, that you saw somebody who was tilting towards like a one twenty WRC plus at times, that seemed to be like maybe who you'd have gotten a, a to finish out the season if it was a normal year or if he had played pro ball the previous season. Um, I I think, you know, frankly, you know, the farm system, you know, as much as we talk about some of the bright lights of it or guys who could pop up and make it better, you know, to some degree it gets the ranking it deserves uh, based on what guys have shown um, recently. And Andrew Vaughn is one of your big potential guys um, to be, you know, this, you know, core talent, you know, the future. Middle of the order hitter uh, for years to come, so I don't think you should be kind of quick to uh, throw that away or cash out on that because you get frustrated on it, uh, because there's really not guys like that, you know, set to take his place. You know, I, I don't think, however, pressing you think any need at the back of the rotation or in the for the seventh in the bullpen, um, or you know, this second baseman to you know hit seventh or eighth in the lineup. Uh, really approaches you know the need you're going to have in the middle of the order if you start picking away pieces from that before they can mature into what they are. Um, so I think some of the biggest upside on this team, um, as, as much as we rightly scrutinize free agency and they should be active on it, is Andrew Vaughn being Andrew Vaughn, Eloy Menez being Eloy Menez, Luis Robert being Luis Robert for more than 80 games. Uh, that seems to be how you get from 93 wins to you know upper 90s next season, uh, as much as anything they can do
0: right now. I hear that. I hear that, and I'm with it. James, thanks so much for taking the time. Really appreciate it. We'll talk again soon, I'm sure.
2: All right. Happy to do it.
0: All right. That's James Feagan of The Athletic. You know his work. Go check it out. Theathletic.com for James Fox, the state champion. Can you believe it? State champion James Fox joining us. Our presence. Boy, oh, boy. My name is Mike Rankin. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of the Future Sox podcast. Go to futuresox.com. Check out everything that we have to offer. Until next time, well, thanks so much for listening.